Welcome to another PCT podcast. I'm PCT Internet Editor Brad Harbison, and I'm happy to have as my guest Chris Metzler, who's one of the directors of the award-winning documentary Rodents of Unusual Size. And as many of PCT's readers know that, especially those in the Gulf Coast, nutria are the invasive 20-pound semi-aquatic rodents that have been wrecking havoc to the coastal wetlands of Louisiana. And in the documentary, Chris and his team explored how the citizens in the areas impacted by Nutria are fighting back to preserve the wetlands from this threat. And I think the film works as a vehicle to promote the preservation of these, this ecosystem and also as an examination of an interesting subculture in the U.S. that many folks are unaware of. Chris, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks again for having me, Brad. Chris, uh, why did you guys decide to make a film about Nutria? Well, thanks. As a documentary filmmaker, uh, we're always kind of curious folks and uh, like to kind of um, tell weird stories. And so um, as part of that, um, you know, you're kind of always keeping your ears kind of perked up for interesting things. And um, it just happened I was traveling on the road uh, with a previous film that um, my co-director, Jeff Springer, I did called uh, Plagues and Pleasures on the Salton Sea. It's another offbeat environmental documentary about the... Um, Salton Sea in Southern California, and so this happened to be uh, screening a film at a theater in Lafayette, and uh, like a lot of good ideas, they came up, they come up over, um, you know, drinking a couple beers at the bar um, after the screening, and um, we were just shooting the shit, and uh, the programmer's wife said, you know, man, you guys really like strange things. Uh, wait till I tell you about what we have here in Louisiana, and she went to kind of spin the story about um, Nutria, these uh, giant invasive rodents in uh, Louisiana, and um, some of the kind of creative ways that the people of Louisiana were dealing with millions of uh, semi-aquatic uh, swamp rats that invaded their state, uh, and that involved uh, trying to eat them at the time, <laughs> and I was like, man, that's just some crazy shit, you know, and um, we weren't sure that there was necessarily a documentary to be uh, told there, but, you know, as the years passed, we just couldn't get rid of this idea from our mind that we really wanted to see these giant rodents because, you know, when you hear about these giant, um, you know, rats of 20 pounds, you're just like, you know, can they really exist? And so we decided to kind of do a research trip uh, from California and spent a couple days in Louisiana meeting some different hunters and trappers. And we quickly kind of fell in love with the place and the people and we realized that, you know, let's give it a shot and make this documentary rodents of unusual size. And uh, Chris, I, th I think uh, you mentioned something kind of interesting. Is you know, there, there's it, it's not a it's not a black and white situation here. There's there's kind of a gray area with the people's relationship with Nutria. Is it sort of a love hate relationship? Yeah, most definitely. I think um, you know the you know the people in Louisiana um, kind of recognize that there's um, a lot of nuances to life. You know, and um, one of the things that makes their relationship with Nutria really difficult um, is this, is that um, one is Nutria are basically destroying uh, the coastal wetlands um, of Louisiana. Uh, they're vegetarians. Uh, they like to eat the roots and plants that hold the soils together. And once those plants are eaten, um, the soil quickly washes away into the ocean. And so it destroys the wetlands that uh, protect um, Louisiana from hurricanes and tropical storms but also often the places where people live. Uh, but with that said, is that um, the tree are an invasive creature that were kind of brought here from good, for good intent, but they kind of got out of control uh, in the sense that in the 1930s during the Great Depression, uh, some people had the bright idea of, like, 
let's bring these 20-pound swamp rats from Argentina and introduce them to Louisiana for these fur farms, and we'll raise them for fur because, you know, a lot of people hunted and trapped muskrat at the time, but the tree is four or five times, you know, the size, and they're like, look, we're going to get more fur, you know, kind of more bang for our buck. Uh, and that really didn't work out, and um, so people lost their shirt and kind of let them loose into the wild. And uh, with it, they kind of uh, slowly took over, but that wasn't a problem because in the 50s and 60s, uh, people often hunted and trapped, and kind of fur was a big part of the economy in Louisiana. And so I think people realize that, um, you know, their families have made a living off of Nutria for a long time, and so some of the kind of problems that come with it are kind of the trade-off uh, with having it. The big problem, of course, nowadays is that, you know, the fur market isn't so big, and so there isn't an incentive to kill them, and so they've kind of gotten out of control. And so I think, you know, the people of Louisiana are really persistent folk, and I think they admire the persistence and resilience of the Nutria, and so, um, you know, it's kind of a backhanded compliment in the sense that they realize that the new tree aren't going to go anywhere, and so what is the best way to kind of maintain their, um, you know, their lives? Absolutely. And uh, kind of along those lines, I mean, what, it, what is that balance that they're looking for? Do they want the nutria totally eliminated or just sort of contained enough to stop damaging the ecosystem? Uh, so I think it all depends on where people live, you know. So uh, the folks in the more rural area, uh, particularly people that kind of live off the, the cycle of the seasons in the sense that, you know, they might, uh, you know, crab in the spring and shrimp in the summer and they do alligators in September. And then during the fall time, you know, they're uh, hunting and trapping, you know, fur-bearing creatures, particularly nutria. Um, they kind of want to kind of, they realize that the nutria are not going to go anywhere. Um, and so they've kind of um, just figured out a way to make a living off of it. And, however, they also don't want to be kind of uh, threatened by, um, you know, losing their land and their property. Um, once you make your way into kind of more suburban and city areas, I think that uh, people are a little bit more grossed out by the nutria. I mean, they look like these giant rats. Uh, but also they cause a lot of uh, you know, damage in the sense that nutria like to burrow into the levees and dikes that protect New Orleans. Uh, they kind of infest the canals. All this infrastructure that people in cities depend on. And so I think nutria are seen more of a nuisance in cities, um, and um, except in a couple of kind of uh, more wealthy neighborhoods where uh, people like to feed the nutria or see them kind of as kind of a domestic pet. And that kind of leads into my next uh, question, Chris. As we mentioned, you know, it, the, the film's kind of an interesting study of a, of a kind of an interesting subculture in the U.S. That, that a lot of folks aren't aware of. What kind of impressed you about these people living down there and their resilience, and, and what did you learn about them? Well, um, I think that one of the things that we learned is that uh, the people in Louisiana like to tell great stories, you know. Um, you know, myself and my two co-directors, Jeff and Quinn, we're not from Louisiana. Um, we didn't know how welcome we'd be. Um, just in the sense of, like, you know, making a documentary, you know, takes a bit of time and kind of interferes with your life. But, what we, you know, we just didn't know if people would want to take the time to kind of um, be interviewed, et cetera. But um, when we're down there, one of the things that people told us is, like, don't worry, you're not going to have any problem with people talking to you. You're going to have problems with getting them to shut up <laughs> in the sense that they're just going to want to tell you uh, tell you everything. And then for a filmmaker, that's a great thing because, uh, you know, uh, the people that you see on screen, um, you know, are collaborators with us. And they just had a real generosity of spirit of welcoming us into their homes, onto their boats, into their world, and sharing it with us. 
Um, but, uh, you know, with that said, I think the thing that we really took away is the kind of um, approach to life, this kind of joy of life that uh, the people of Louisiana have, you know. Um, you know, in a lot of these areas that uh, are just kind of on the edge of being washed away into the Gulf, you know, many people would have just decided to kind of pack up and leave many years ago. Uh, but they've decided that uh, this place, not just the land, but the culture, the environment, etc., is important to them, and um, that they figured out ways to kind of enjoy life even amongst the kind of difficult circumstances. And so um, they always find some humor uh, in life. They figure out ways to kind of enjoy um, you know, life, whether it be with good food or dancing or just hanging out with family. And the idea is like, look, the problems are problems, and you're just going to have to deal with them, but you can't let that get you down because if it gets you down, then you're not going to be able to kind of Make the, make, take the next step to kind of uh, make your way into the future. And so a lot of people, I think, realize that life is going to change, but in the sense that you can you can enjoy life while that's still happening. And I think um, that's something that you, we can take into all of our lives of, like, you know, find the joy in your everyday life uh, because life goes by too quickly. No, no doubt. And and I also like the way you kind of uh, explored how it, it's really sort of the, the folks of Louisiana have taken it upon themselves to solve the problem. Um, at the same time, you also looked at the, the private-public partnerships. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so, um, you know, when you're dealing with an invasion of 20-pound uh, uh, swamp rats, uh, it's kind of all hands on deck in the sense that, uh, you know, everybody in the community, big or small, needs to get involved. Um, you know, whether it be the government, companies, um, and individuals. And so um, I think, you know, Louisiana really has a good track record with this in the sense that, well, it got off to kind of a bumpy start in the sense that, um, you know, the state really has just kind of tried to kind of tackle the nutria problem in as many different ways as they could. And so at first they thought, you know, given Louisiana's uh, kind of propensity to like to cook and that uh, their cuisine is known worldwide, uh, they figured, well, let's see if we could kind of come up with some great recipes to get people to eat Nutria. Uh, they, you know, partnered with restaurants and celebrity chefs. And uh, to be honest, there's a lot of tasty food that came out of it. But just the, you know, the idea of eating swamp rat just was something that was just hard for people to get over the kind of ick factor, you know. Right. Um, so they moved on to different things. And so, um, you know, there's a, a nonprofit, uh, BitNap, uh, uh, and... What they did is they started giving mini grants out to different organizations to say, "Look, you have a great idea. Let's see what you know what happens." Um, and so through that, uh, this company Marsh Dog that started making uh, kind of gourmet dog biscuits and jerky for uh, for pets, and they've done really well. Um, they're available in pet stores all throughout Louisiana, but are now getting national distribution. Um, it helped fund uh, the startup Righteous Fur, which is a fashion collective trying to encourage people to kind of use Nutria, the idea that it's kind of econo uh, ecologically sustainable, you know? And so all these things were, you know, with some kind of support from nonprofits and corporations and also government funds, and then the kind of entrepreneurialism of individual people. Uh, but also um, the state has a contract with Coastwide Management Solutions who helps kind of handle the tail bounty program that um, takes place in Louisiana. And what that involves is... Um, Nowadays, uh, during uh, the winter months, late, late November through uh, early April, uh, trappers and hunters are incentivized to kill nutrients. For every tail they bring back in, they get $5. And so 
Um, you know, that company helps run it and reach out to uh, uh, trappers and, um, you know, hunters to kind of get them familiar with the rules and incentivize them to go out there and do it and kind of handles the whole process. Uh, and then, you know, I think, you know, on the ground, um, you have a lot of kind of private, uh, you know, pest control companies that are contracted out by cities, parishes, uh, you know, individuals, uh, homeowners, um, and then private organizations like golf courses that you know, are dealing with uh, these invasive nutria and need uh, their pest control problems solved. And so um, we actually, you know, one of those pest control operators, Michael Brian of Wildlife Command Center, we kind of follow them at night uh, in the canals of uh, New Orleans, uh, ridding um, them of nutria, but also on golf courses. And, um, you know, it's kind of a, you know, an effort that everybody's kind of involved with and realized that, you know, there is no one way that the material can be beaten back, and so you have to try lots of different things. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, Chris, watching this film, uh, you guys shooting in a lot of different uh, interesting locations. Um, what can you tell us about shooting this film from a technical perspective? Uh, yeah, so, well, first of all, there's a lot, a lot of water in Louisiana. <laughs> and the are semi-aquatic animals, so we spent a lot of time on boats. <laughs> and uh, so we got our sea lakes pretty quickly. Uh, we shot in all types of environments, whether it be, you know, 100 plus degrees of humidity during the summer or 30 degrees in the middle of winter, <laughs> and that was really cold, but uh, you have to kind of go where the nutria are. Um, so uh, we tried to work with a small crew, uh, myself and then my co-directors, Jeff and Quinn, um, kind of felt like using a small camera and having this kind of small footprint um, would allow us to kind of get into places that we wouldn't normally be able to film. And um, Nutria, while well, there are a lot of them, millions of them, um, in fact, they're very kind of um, cautious around human beings. And so you wind up being very patient, you know, of like finding places and kind of waiting with a long lens to kind of capture uh, these stories. But uh, production-wise, I mean, a lot of it was kind of working, you know, handling the elements. But uh, we also wanted to get up and close and personal with the Nutria, and that wasn't going to be possible with the wild ones unless we kind of, at uh, one point in time, um, uh, animal control specialist Michael Burian and Jeff set up a hunting blind on the golf course and had a telephoto lens and basically laid in wait till the nutrio uh, were there in the sunrise and could kind of film the munching, you know, on things. Uh, but we also built a tunnel uh, where we wanted to kind of show um, a very National Geographic style of, you know, where these creatures live and how they burrow. And so we had a trained nutria, nudie the nutria, that... Uh, we had as kind of a stunt nutria. That actually came from another pest control company, Millican Farms. Uh, they do movie animals, and they also do wildlife control uh, throughout Louisiana. And they just happened to have a baby nutria that they'd raised uh, that was pretty kind of comfortable with being able to be filmed. Uh, they were out on an assignment one time, and a mama nutria and her babies had been killed, but Nudie had survived. And so they raised nutria, and so this is kind of Nudie's uh, big screen debut. Uh, there isn't a lot of <laughs> demand for uh, nutrient in movies, typically. But with this, we were able to you know, show her in the tunnels, but also we took her around the state to kind of do some up-close and personal shots just so people could get familiar with the nutrient. And, uh, Chris, I uh, wanted to check in with you to see how the, the film's been received. Um, you know, one of the things we thought was interesting was this paradox that, you know, on, on the one hand, the film's about protecting the ecosystem, the ecosystem, but in order to do so, you're killing part of the ecosystem in the nutria. Were you concerned that you'd be able to find an audience for the film? Well, you know, 
when you kind of dig in, uh, you know, we spent four years making this film going to Louisiana every few months, I mean, a week or two at a time. Yeah, so it's a lot of effort, and so you're hoping people are going to want to see the movie. But when you tell kind of quirky stories like we do, you just never really know until it's finished. You just kind of uh, have to take this leap of faith and see how uh, life comes together. Um, we figured if we were interested enough in the story, there'd be people out there like us, and we just needed to find them. Uh, now, of course, throughout this entire process, probably a lot of our friends and family are wondering, like, what the hell are these guys doing? Why are they making a documentary about these giant rats, you know? Because uh, people get kind of creeped out about <laughs> rodents sometimes. Um, we thought that, like, the Nutria was kind of this interesting angle to tell a larger story about um, Louisiana in the sense that people would be like, man, that looks really weird, or I really want to see what these giant 20-pound rats look like. And that they'd come into the theater, fall in love with the characters and stories we were telling, and then... Um, be glad they saw the movie, and so far that's turned out well. Um, you know, I think our biggest concern was uh, animal rights activists, you know, in the sense of, like, would they protest the killing of these animals? Uh, but in general, we haven't had that problem. We've had, you know, questions come up in Q&As, you know, where that I came in here thinking I was going to kind of hate this movie and I was going to argue with you, but now that I understand the problem, um, you know, I understand why this needs to be done, and it's because... The nutria are not only affecting humans, but a lot of the native wildlife that live there. And if the nothing's done about the nutria, it's just going to destroy the rest of the wildlife. Um, so, you know, we travel around with the film on film festivals and theatrical, um, kind of a theatrical release in, you know, big cities and small towns. And we found that, you know, while people come to see the movie for different reasons, uh, most people are glad to kind of take a look at it. And I think that's kind of a testament to all the different places we've been able to bring the film, but also, um, you know, the reviews that the films get, uh, you know, gotten in, so that always kind of puts a smile to the face. Well, great, uh, great to hear that the movie's been received so well, and maybe the last thing we'll leave you is, uh, you know, what, what possible future plans do you have for this movie, or, or maybe even just uh, taking a look, an, a look at another segment of the pest control industry? Yeah, uh, so, you know, when you finish up a film, um, you know, you kind of just run a marathon, and you're not sure exactly, you know, what's next. But we like, you know, weird and unusual stories. And so, who knows, uh, maybe a couple of years from now we'll head back to Louisiana and see what's happened and, you know, do a sequel. Uh, but, you know, coincidentally, Nutria now uh, invaded California. Uh, in 1979, Nutria had been wiped off the, the place, and they weren't really a problem. But within the last year or so, the state's been finding Nutria in the Central Valley, uh, in the wetlands there, and they threaten a lot of the kind of economic um, industries in that area. And so um, since uh, Jeff Quinn and I, we all live in California, uh, when the nutrient in your own backyard, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe there's a sequel to be had there. So um, you never know. Um, and so, you know, definitely looking for other stories and uh, something that's kind of on the, you know, kind of working around in our brain is uh, the story about cockroaches and that, um, you know, um, the way that they kind of um, kind of get the hair on your back uh, going with most human beings, kind of like rats. And so, um, you know, when you have a good villain uh, or a complicated villain, that always makes an interesting story to tell. But, you know, with climate change and some of the other things that are going on, you know, um, the problems with cockroaches are probably just going to increase. And so we're trying to figure out if there's a story to tell there. Um, and so who knows what, maybe um, that might be the next project. And, you know, the thing we, you know, People like the movie or want to check out the movie, um, you know, 
on social media, whether it be Facebook or Twitter. Um, you know, we try to kind of let people know where the film's screening and what's also happening with our other projects, but also we try to continue to tell the story of Red and Sunshine's Little Skies there. It's like updates with our characters, updates with the tree, and so uh, people want to follow us there. We'll try to kind of make sure it's as good a time as the movie. Great. Well, uh, again, uh, Chris, I think uh, congratulations again on the movie. I think it's it's uh, really well done, and I think folks in the industry will be interested in seeing it. As you said, uh, people in our industry really are are, are interested in, in insects and animals, and um, I think this movie will have a, a lot of appeal to them. And as you mentioned, they can learn about it on the website, and there will be several different upcoming opportunities to see it, whether or not they you know they want to you know download it, uh, or I think as you mentioned, it's going to be on PBS coming up soon so uh yeah, yeah. can you can you mention yeah, yeah. the date again on, on pbs is, again yeah absolutely and so um so the film's in theaters now but it'll debut on pbs's flagship documentary series independent lens on january 14th and then it'll be involved in, uh, available on itunes and other kind of digital platforms afterwards so uh you know if people don't mind helping spread a word about the film that's kind of how any kind of uh indie film uh succeeds and i think um you know you know, something that I think we had talked about uh, briefly, but I think is kind of important to mention is that, you know, while we kind of show um, many different people, hunters, trappers, um, regular folks and pest control operators, kind of dealing with the new tree threat is that, you know, we couldn't have made this film uh, without a lot of assistance of, uh, you know, different people giving their time. And so, um, you know, two big kind of pest control experts, Michael Burian with Wildlife Command Center and the Millikins with Milken Farm, yeah, they helped, uh, you know, kind of behind the scenes in constructing habitat, um, um, letting us kind of be aware of these creatures. And I think one of the things we really learned about pest, pest control operators is that, you know, they're real animal lovers, you know, in the sense that that's the reason why they got into it. But they realized that often, you know, animals wind up in places that, um, you know, cause a conflict with humans and something needs to be done about it. And I think it was kind of a really kind of insightful for us as filmmakers to see. And so... We're glad to kind of get that part of the story out there and share the film in theaters and also um, nationally on PBS. Yeah, no doubt. And uh, again, I think that that will be a real uh, great great connection here to folks in the in the pest control industry. And we do have a little write up about the movie in the December issue of, of PCT. And again, I would encourage uh, all of our readers to to go check it out, uh, learn about it online, and uh, and go check out this movie because I think it'll be have a, have a great appeal to them. So, uh, Chris, again, thanks for joining me, and I want to thank all of our listeners for for tuning into our podcast today, and have a great day. <laughs>